Sure. Okay, it's time. Um, hello. Hi, everyone. This is not. This is Emily, but this is not Jennifer. Yes, I have not had voice reassignment surgery. Uh, my name's Clint, and I edit the podcast for these guys. Uh, Clint and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, we went to college together. And I'm a big NPR nerd, so they asked me to edit this podcast. And What a fool. Like a fool he I know. accepted. <laughs> I feel like I've gotten Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> I used to not like this podcast, but now I, I enjoy it quite a lot. I, listen, bold claim, as you are guesting on a podcast to say you used to not like it. <laughs> this is, that's a brave move. It got, it got a lot better since I joined it. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Well, anyway, um, welcome to All Things Terror. Yeah, this is the podcast that Clint usually listens to and and mouths along um, that he loves so much, uh, where we talk about creepy things um, from science and history and true crime. Uh, Clint pretends that he's not into creepy things, but you are. No, I like creepy things. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I guess this is our meetup weekend. We... um, Went and visited Jen, and then we had a podcast meetup that was more successful than I thought it would be. But you, like, your expectations are so low for us. That that way you don't get disappointed. That's just kind of good good life lesson there. You're gonna be a great parent. Yeah. <laughs> I really didn't even expect you to graduate high school, son. <laughs> You're still breathing. Well, good job. Oh, uh, that's all your mother. I had nothing to do with it. That's true. All right. So, um, what story do you have for, for us today, Emily? So I, this is kind of a weird one-off. Um, I do have a story for you. It's a story that I picked because we both kind of have a connection to it. Um, and that is the story of Brianna Dennison. So, um, a little background. I don't, when did this happen? 2008. 2008. And we were, I mean, we were, we're in high, or not high school, we're in college when this happened. Yeah, we were in college at the University of Nevada. Um, I was actually studying abroad this semester that a lot of this went down. I was, I was still in Reno when this happened. Yeah. Um, so l- let me, let, let's just start with what's going on and then uh, we can talk about what you remember. So um, Brianna Dennison went to high school in Reno. She went to your high school. Yeah, actually, so my name is Clint Demerit. I don't care if people know. Now my we last all name. know. Yeah, they can find me. Um, <laughs> you doxed yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, and her name was also Denison. So the fun fact I like to pull out. I don't know if it's a fun fact, but um, depends that, on on who you're pulling that fact out to. Right? Yeah, but my name, my picture was next to her picture in our high school yearbook. So, yeah. but I didn't really, I didn't know her or see her that much. I think that happens. I'm from a small town, much smaller than Reno, and people will be like, "Oh, you're from here. Do you know this person?" And I'm like, "We went to school together, but I don't really know them. Know them." Um, but anyway, so uh, she graduated from Reno High School in Reno, um, but she was going to school in Santa Barbara. Uh, she was back in Reno for some something or other. Wikipedia calls it a summer winter action tour LLC, a travel agency that caters to students. I don't even know what that means. Like, it seems like that kind of like that Futurama joke that like 20th century colleges are just like uh, daycare centers for like 20 <laughs> year olds. I, it feels like one of those things that's like you pay $2,000 and you get your hotels and the bus and then they take you on activities or something. Um, but it was Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, so it was, like, a long weekend. She was back in Reno, um, visiting friends, I guess. Um, she went to a party at the Sands Regency. The Sands? Oh, okay. Yeah, a casino downtown. I thought it was, like, a house party or something. Uh, apparently, no. Um, she went to a party. It says a party at the Sands Regency. Okay. Is a hotel and casino. What is the, the Sands? I don't remember. Oh, you don't that's know the that Sands? trashy one, right? Yeah. Well, um, not to <laughs> please sponsor us, yeah. Sands. <laughs> it's one of the like kind Maybe of. Maybe we like... could just bleep that out. Yeah. <laughs> and if people really want to know what casino is just called trashy, you can Google. I know it's it's kind of uh, west of all the other casinos. It's kind of like where all the the burners go to stay for Burning Man. Yeah. It's like the it's, it's the it's older just, one. It's like. 
it's not the worst casino in Reno, but um, it's definitely not the best. It's kind of like the more like seedy one and like kind of smaller or whatever. And I think it's one of its claims to fame is its advertising person or like head of marketing, like Farron Sony did a lot of like weird commercials. Like there's a billboard with like him and his mom, but they just photoshopped his face under his mom's body. I don't remember and like, that Mom loves all. it too. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's Reno for you. Um, that does feel very in line with it. Um, she also, so after the party, um, they went to Mel's Diner. Do you remember that place? Yeah, it's still open. Yeah, it's like a 50s style diner. Um, Actually, I live downtown. Um, and you can see I it go from to your it. house? Yeah, I can see it from my house. I go to it sometimes too. Yeah. I'm like hungover. That's like the place you go at like four in two, the morning. Yeah, yeah, four in the morning or something. Like we've been there on like New Year's Eve one time and just. <gasps> we did because yeah. we were like walking back or we were walking back home or something, mm-hmm. right? I think I tripped down the stairs that night. I don't, that's happened multiple nights. Like, <laughs> oh, but yeah. I, I wasn't even drunk either. Yeah, yet. I remember that now. Um, yeah, they were saying that they went to Mel's Diner to eat like. Um, milkshakes and french fries which is such a like you're 20 years old thing to do um i think that was the night you fell down the stairs yeah but this wasn't th- this murder wasn't that night so but anyway no no yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, Eve, that was but... new year's Eve. um yeah okay so way to spoil the story yeah son of a bitch. oh yeah because this is all things pleasant right? <laughs> Yes, all things pleasant. Um, so anyway, she was staying with friends and um, she went to bed on the couch, which is what I'm doing um, here at Jennifer's house. But in the morning, um, unlike all of you guys waking up and seeing me still asleep, um, her friends woke up and she was gone, um, which is quite shocking. Um, she had disappeared without shoes, cell phone, purse. Um, they thought she was wearing like just a tank top and sweats. Um, and there was a little bit of blood on the pillow, which they're like, well, shit, this is bad. Oh, geez. When it was like she, I heard she like fell asleep like on a couch, but it was like right in front of like a sliding glass door, right? You know what's weird? I always heard that too. And this is actually, I think one thing that will be interesting about this story. I had always heard that too, but look at this picture I found. It was a glass door, but it's not a sliding glass oh, door. It's like a regular door with glass panels on it. That's like a weird detail. Because it was like, uh-huh. I re- specifically remember people saying it's a sliding glass door. Yeah. Like, it doesn't really matter, I guess. It do- I mean, you could still see in, but it is a little bit, it's somehow like the idea of her falling asleep in front of a glass door. And then that's how this person saw her and took her is very, very frightening. And somehow this just feels different. I don't know. And was he just, I mean, I guess, just continue on with the story. Okay, so um, they what they discovered was that she had fallen asleep on this couch and um, she was in front of a glass door, not a sliding glass door, um, that was unlocked. And they did find male DNA on the doorknob. Um, this is 2008, so, you know, these are things that um, you know about in 2008. Um, so by the next day, people were looking at the University of Nevada. That's It was really close to where that was happening, where she was staying. Um, the FBI joined in. She's a white girl, so this is why this would happen. Um, there, were, there was also like another kidnapping around the same time, um, and it was a girl who was like ethnic or something like that. And there was like nothing kind of like said about her, like mm-hmm. um, to jump ahead a little bit. There was like a big like to do about Brianna. I mean, it got national attention too. Yeah, um, it. Um, let me see. It was on um, Doctor Phil. It was on E Entertainment. Um, I thought it was on like America's Most Wanted, but I didn't see it when I was looking this up, but I remember hearing about that, um, mm. which even if that's not true, I think it does kind of speak to, yeah, the level of attention that this case got. Mm-hmm. There was like a campaign. I don't think hashtags were a thing back then really, but it was no. like bring Brie home was the, the big thing. Cause they, they were hoping that, I mean, she was still alive. When everyone, when you, when you go missing, you know, people kind of hope for the best and not jump to not if you go missing well not me (laughs) leave clint away (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah uh they sprang into action really quick and i think what's kind of interesting about that is a lot of true crime things um will talk about older cases and how um the cops you know like 
didn't take care of the doorknob or didn't do anything, didn't alert people. Um, but they did really do everything okay. Like, they did everything right in this case. And um, I think it's interesting that you said there was someone else who went missing and didn't get the same level of attention. Anyway, um, so this happens the 20th, the 21st. Um, about a week later, I'm just going to read, quote, a Reno woman stated that she knew another victim who said she was raped at gunpoint in a garage on the University of Nevada, Reno campus um, two years earlier, or I'm sorry, like six months earlier and had not um, reported the crime. Um, they were, so the DNA that they found um, was linked with two, uh, it says sexually motivated attacks, but they didn't know who that person was, just that it was their same DNA. Um, there were almost 2,000 volunteers looking for her. Um, what do you remember about this? I mean, I just, re I remember the big campaign to kind of look for her. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a lot of media attention about it. Um, you know, like I said, bring Brie home. Um, there was like a lot of questions around, um, you know, where she went, like what happened that night. Um. I'm trying to think what else. I mean, nothing too, just like kind of yeah. the different like efforts to try and, and find her. She was, yeah. So um, I only asked because it's weird. I do remember a lot of this, but um, I was out of the country and I didn't have a smartphone or, or really access. So I don't know. I, Anyway, we'll come back to what I remember. I mean, it definitely got, like, a lot of media attention. Yeah. Um, they were talk constantly talking about it on the local news. Um, I don't really remember, like, a ton of developments. Yeah. Um, well, this is what I wanted to get to. So, she disappeared January 20th. Um, February 15th, um, this poor guy was, he was on his lunch break. He went to a subway, which I mean, already it's already a bad day. It's already right? it's already a sad story. Um, and he was walking uh, sort of by this like, you know, how like when there's like a strip mall and then there's like a field behind it that's just sort of undeveloped. He was walking past that and saw bright orange sock, like orange fabric um, and like all people in all true crime podcasts. He thought it was a mannequin. <laughs> It was not a mannequin. Uh, it was Brianna Dennison's body. Um, he didn't... This is also, again, poor guy. I feel really bad for him. Um, I mean, I feel bad for a lot of people in the story, but he didn't have a cell phone. Oh, so no. he had to go back to work to call the cops. Jeez. Uh -huh. And I imagine they're probably like, damn it, you're late. And he was like, no, 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 please, I need the phone. Like, I just saw a dead body. Um, interestingly, they said... Um, Apparently, cops told him right away that this was Brianna Dennison. He didn't recognize her, but um, a day later, they were doing an autopsy and confirming that it was her. Um, they A description had been released of the guy already. And then one of the things that they found near her body was a pair of underwear that wasn't hers. Oh, oh that's uh, interesting. But it had the same DNA on it. Oh, from the guy? Or, yeah, from uh -huh. the guy, not from her. Um, and that's a detail that I remember and I was thinking, oh, I remember when they found her body, but I wouldn't have remembered that, um, because that would have been in February. I was still out of the country, but, um, I think what I'm remembering it from is the trial. Well, and two, I think another tidbit, I mean, this happens a lot. It was, you know, February. So it was, I think it snowed, right? And she was kind of buried under the snow. Oh, so really? yeah, so I think it took a while for them to find her because, because the that. snow had to melt. Yeah, so yeah. when it melted enough, and they so they found him in a region called Galena, which is um, Reno's kind of like in a basin. Um, so this was kind of it's like really hard for you to be like I know. He <laughs> <laughs> did not tell me. Um, so they found her in like around Galena, right? Um, South Reno is this. South yeah, Reno. Yeah, I thought it was kind of by. Um, I mean, yeah, Galena. I forget what it's like because now that's all like developed. It's, yeah. Um, but I think it was over. I always thought it was by Trader Joe's, but I don't think that's right. I think no. I'm just putting that there. Yeah. Brain. Yeah. I think it was kind of like in a higher part of the city, so it tends to snow more over there. So she got kind of covered up, and then when it melted, um, they they found her. So I have to go to the bathroom. We'll pause it. Okay. So um, I said I was gonna start talking, and I thought I was ready, but now I'm not. Okay. They found her body. 
um, blah, blah, blah. Um, interestingly, so this was in February, and then um, in November 25th of that same year, which is what, this must be what I remember, um, they, police arrested someone, um, James Michael Bila, um, who's 27, um, and he uh, was charged and arrested with her murder. Um, he, um, his DNA matched, um, and he had, uh, had a felony for, um, seven years earlier arresting, or sorry, not arresting. He was not arresting. He was arrested, uh, for threatening his ex-girlfriend's neighbor with a knife, Mm. which is like really dumb. Uh, so interestingly, um, he, and this was what I remember, and this is, I think, um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, within two years, I mean, trials take a long time, but he was finally found guilty in 2010. Um, but pretty quickly in November, um, they made a big to-do when they arrested him. Well, the thing I remember about his arrest, too, was that his girlfriend turned in, turned him in it. Yeah, yeah, it was his girlfriend's friend had called secret witness or oh, really? done a tip line thing. Yeah, because he um, had the same, the same like truck, and he had sold it right after she disappeared. Mm-hmm. And then his girlfriend had found underwear in the car. Or yeah, like a pair of panties that weren't hers. Yeah, and her the girlfriend's friend was something like. I've always hated him. Not I've always hated him, but, like, he sounded like he was kind of a creepy controlling... Like, she, it didn't sound good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the girlfriend actually gave police permission to get DNA from their son, and that was how they got the DNA match. Oh, they had before. a kid together? Yeah, they had a kid together. Wow. And the other thing I remember was that um, our friend, Nick Coltrane, had written a story about this mm-hmm. for our school paper, and... Um, he had kidnapped someone and raped her, like, before this. And that girl remembered seeing, like, a baby's shoe in the van, when oh. he, which is really Ooh. sad. And she got away, right? Yeah, she yeah. got away. Um, he didn't murder her. But, um, you know, as all true crime has led me to believe, perpetrators will escalate in their crimes. Yeah, because this was definitely part of the pattern. Yeah, yeah, I think that was the thing. Um so anyway, um, he... So wait, was that part of the two assaults beforehand that we were talking about? Yeah. Um, yes. And he uh, was... He, he did get the uh, death penalty uh, when he was found guilty. Um, spoiler alert, he was found guilty. Um, and as of 2016, um, he was denied appeals. Okay, I was going to say, he's probably, they probably haven't executed him yet. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things with the death penalty when people argue against it is that um, it takes a really long time and it's really expensive because you have to exhaust all of your appeals. And if you do life in prison, you might not. Yeah, I, if, that's why life, life in prison is cheaper. Yeah. Because you don't have all those You don't have as many appeals and, and stuff. Yeah. And, and any sort of, I think um, there is a sort of... Um, well, we want them to have their day in court. But really, if you can get someone to confess or take a deal, it's, you know, court is really, really expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's one of the reasons why um, that happens. Um, law tip. If you are arrested <laughs> for a crime, do not confess. Because that's, like, one of the, like, most, like, um, I want to say, like, they count that the most. Like, a confession oh, needs, like, every other sort of evidence. Um, and please really try and like lean hard on people yeah. to get them to confess. And people usually just confess so they can like get Go out home. of home. Yeah. yeah, get out. They're like, okay, like, because people put too much trust in the legal system sometimes. Yeah. And they think like, I'm innocent. So if I confess now, I'm going to get out of it. I can just get rid of this situation. And then later, you know, yeah. I'll be exonerated. Well, it's really interesting. We watched, um, you and I and Jennifer watched um, that Gypsy Rose Lee documentary, mm-hmm. Mother Dead and Dearest, last, last night. Mm-hmm. And um, they have a lot of 
footage of people being questioned and talked to by the police. And it is really interesting because we were were talking about um, Gypsy Rosalie was a girl whose mother had Munchausen by proxy and, like, kept her in a wheelchair and said that she, you know, was, quote, retarded. I'm quoting the documentary. Um, And, like, had cancer and all these health problems and, like, had a feeding tube. And that was all, like, unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Her mother was manipulating her to it. And then um, the daughter uh, met someone on, like, Christian Mingle. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) just funny best place Um, to find someone to murder your mother yeah absolutely and uh the two of them or he depending on what version of the story you believe uh did kill her mother and then ran away um but anyway why was i bringing that up oh there's a bunch of footage where they're um talking to these people and that's in the documentary and there's so many times where like there was one time where he was saying something really gross and the person interviewing this suspect, the boyfriend, just went, okay. And you, like, laughed. And you're like, she's so non-judgmental. But I think there is a lot where the police try to be very, like, I'm on your side. Just mm-hmm. tell me what's up, you yeah. know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they are doing that because they have a job. And the job is how can we get a case that's good enough that will hold up in court. I have two. I've heard, like, a, like an NPR show or something about different interrogation styles. Yeah. So one style is where um, the police will kind of question someone and like after like an hour or so, they'll they'll make up their mind whether or not they think they're guilty or not. Yeah. And then they'll kind of push the interview towards that way. So if they think they're guilty, they'll push really hard to get them to confess. Um, But now in, in Europe, they do a different style where they ask them like a lot of details um and questions about what happened and they say that when you're lying it puts a lot of i think it's called cognitive load on you mm-hmm. so it's hard to keep track of all the little lies so they just kind of go over and over the yeah. story again and ask about the little details and if you're lying it gets harder and harder to keep your story straight and yeah that, that's kind of proven to be a bit better of a interrogation technique yeah and like some of the um like true crime things that i listen to when um police are talking um like small town dicks i'm specifically thinking about an episode from that um the detectives were saying something that like you could ask him this question three or four times and he would say the exact same thing in the exact same words like a script Mm. and he was like that sounds like somebody lying because you know, if you are telling the truth, you're going to say it a little bit different or you're going to remember new things. And um, when I did volunteer for a rape crisis hotline, that was one thing that they said that they were like, you know, because they, they trained us on a lot of different things because you never know why, what people are going to be upset about when they call. But um, <clears throat> excuse me, they said that traditionally um, victims or survivors of assault um, have been sort of like poo-pooed because their stories will change. Mm-hmm. But they're like, the more that we do research, the more that we see that that's like a response to trauma of like, as you tell the story again, it becomes like different or you remember new things. Um, so anyway. Well, too, like when you're in that heightened state, you're kind of using like a different part of your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, you're kind of like, you know, like when you are in a high stress situation, um, you're your brain takes like a shortcut from like uh, kind of along the skull in the outer part of your brain. Yeah, That's so the you like won't logic. remember it the same way. Yeah. And, yeah. W- and when you're in high stress situations, you go through like the lizard part of your brain. That's mm-hmm. just like focused on like survival and that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's, it's harder to process memories. Well, that's like, I have you, I think you've been in a bad car accident before where it's like everything goes really slow, even though you know it's moving really fast or like, I got in a a head-on collision when I was 18, one of my many (laughs) concussions. And I remember, like, the sounds of the car and then being like, oh, and then all these people were around me. But, like, logically, there had to have been, like, 15 minutes between those two events. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, you're right. You just, you don't remember it in a way that would make narrative sense. Um, So, anyway, um, Bila's still in jail. Um... The other thing, so one of the reasons why I wanted to... Well, I just wanted to talk about maybe... How dare you interrupt me. Yeah, I know, right? This never happens on this podcast. Um, you son of a bitch. <laughs> um, there's, there's all those controversies right now around, like, lethal injection and, mm-hmm. and how that... And I think recently there was a Nevada death row inmate who um, committed suicide because 
he just wanted to get it over with. And there were there were a bunch of um, kind of holdups with the drugs and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. um, he was like, yeah, I'm guilty and I just want it to be over. And yeah. then they, they held up his his execution. So he, he just killed himself. So. I don't I like I don't know how I feel about I don't know. I think the discussion around the death penalty is interesting. I don't really have any strong feelings either way. Um and I guess that would probably be another episode altogether. Um it just doesn't seem like it works very well. Well, I don't think it's like a great deterrent. Yeah, it's not a a good deterrent. It is super racist and they find lots of cases where the things get overturned all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what's hard is like if you have someone who absolutely can't be rehabilitated or you I don't know. I don't know. I I I don't have any strong feelings for it, but it doesn't like I don't know. I don't feel like this horrible fire in my heart whenever I think about it. Well, too, and just like from a practical reason, like we were saying, it's just cheaper to yeah, to have put them in prison, prison. for yeah. For the rest of their life versus, you know, having to go through all this legal appeals and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Shit, I just lost my window. Oh, there it is. Okay. Um, so anyway, um, I wanted to talk about this because we both remember it a little bit. Um, but also because um, in 2013, um, Brianna Dennison's family... 2013? Uh, yeah. Um, passed in 2013 what they called Brianna's Law, um, which went into effect in 2014, and it is a, um, DNA collection. So if you are, uh, arrested for a felony in the state of Nevada, they automatically take your DNA and test it against... Oh, that's interesting. ...and put it in a database. Mm. Um, interestingly, and this was a... And they also, I think it's like, I saw... I Google. I was looking at this because I was trying to find out about it, and it was saying that it was um, also if you're arrested for a felony now, they have a three dollar fee to help pay for that. Um, so if you've never thought about this, getting arrested is very expensive. Um, yeah, the three dollar fee is going to be the worst of your. You problems. get court costs. I used to have to type up the blotter, and if you get arrested, they give you like costs, and it's like thousands and thousands of dollars. But anyway, so they added three dollars onto it to pay for this. Um. But anyway, so um, the Brianna's Law is in Nevada, um, and this is also an interesting little tidbit for you. One of the um, reasons why her family did this was um, after they found her body, her parents were like, oh my gosh, like we need to figure out some way to help, like help this have a positive thing. You know, we want to figure out some way to help. Um, So they asked the police um, so that this wouldn't happen to someone else. That's the phrase I'm looking for. And they talked to someone named J.N. Seepich, um, who is the mother of a girl named Katie Seepich, um, who was abducted, raped, and murdered from, guess what, university? Mm, was it the one that Brianna went to? or No, it was the one that I went to for my graduate degree. Oh, okay. Which is odd. Um, but anyway, so Katie Seepich um, was out partying and she like locked herself out of her apartment uh-huh. and she was climbing in her window when someone like came up and snatched her oh geez and um very similar to brianna dennison it was a big deal um and when they finally caught the person who um had snatched her they um found out that he um i think he was on parole and had had violations and they were saying that like if they had his DNA on file, they would have caught him before he got Katie. Um, and it was, it's really grisly. Um, her, he like tried to burn her body, but didn't do it right. Um, and so they passed, this was in 2003 and then, um, they passed in 2006 Katie's law, um, which was the first, um, DNA collection law. And a lot of those are now all the way across the country. Um, so that's interesting to me. Um, and I, the Sea Pitches and um, Brianna Dennison's family actually like talked and worked together on mm-hmm. this. How? Do, I mean, we. I think you guys talk a lot, or there's that that big thing where police departments don't really talk to each other that much. I mean, that's why crimes used to be a lot like easier to commit, yeah. <laughs> um, like in the '70s, yeah. just because like um, you could commit like a crime in like one county and then like go to another town and like commit. They would, they would never know. Yeah. And they yeah. would never connect the dots. And 
the Golden State Killer was caught recently, right? Because yeah. Very famously, that was one thing he did was moved around from different counties. And um, I mean, I think that computers are really cutting down on that. Mm-hmm. Because if I was a cop, I would have some sort of like, here's an alert of all these things. And I'm sure that they have this more. And, and even like the idea of, um, you know... Um, this story of Brianna Dennison, like, uh, oh, wow, this local girl disappears and Reno is freaking out. But this became a nationwide story. And mm-hmm. part of that was because, well, technologically, we can make stories become nationwide. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like a really recent one is Molly Tibbetts. You know, that became nationwide news. Um, so I, I also I saw an article um, a while ago that was saying that um, this I don't I didn't read it. I just sort of skimmed it. But the idea was that in the 70s and into like the 80s and 90s, there were a lot of serial killers. And um, they were saying that they think um, some of the mass shooters would have been serial killers in previous generations, but you can't get away with serial killing anymore. Oh, so like uh-huh. the Santa Barbara guy or the um, the one in, I think, Georgia that shot up the black church, like mm-hmm. these like really like fucked in the head like white boys who are either motivated by like racism or misogyny or both who would i think normally like the article theory was that you know normally these people would have spent decades like stalking these people that they hated and blamed for all their problems but instead they kind of do it all at once hmm, that's an interesting uh, I don't, supposition yeah um, i don't know if i entirely believe it well i would say too it's not just that one factor that like yeah that's it's harder to commit serial killings but also like with the internet and the and i want to say like kind of the way that like the media coverage has evolved around these things um that they're i I think those are all contributing factors because it now is kind of too like sort of like um they say a lot of these mass shooters are also like suicidal so, mm-hmm. um, you know, they suicide by cop thing. Yeah, yeah. That, that sort of thing. So they were like, well, you know, like I might as well like go out, like make it a statement or mm-hmm. like trying to become like famous or that that sort of thing. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I um these two cases are, are interesting. I used to drive by KDC Pitch's house whenever I went to campus and I actually knew someone who taught like a creative nonfiction class. And he, in that class, one of his students was her old roommate who was like, obviously really like traumatized mm-hmm. from her roommate being, um, was she roommate at the time that yeah, she disappeared? Yeah. Wow. Um, which is really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, um, you know, my favorite murder does this in some of the early episodes where they say like, everybody has a hometown murder and you don't think about it. But when you start asking people that, um, there are all these murders that kind of stick in people's heads. Um, and and this is one that I think is like that for me. Um, well, what, like, what are the elements that go into, like, a hometown murder, right? Well, like, that it happened to you and it was like... Well, it didn't happen to you, but, like, it happened when you were young and you remember it and it was, like, in your community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... So I was gone the summer or the spring when she was abducted and they found her body. But I, I even I remember that fall, people were still, like, obsessed with it. And um, it it was, like, a different city. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's something else that a lot of those hometowns go into was that it did feel like Reno became a different place after that. Well, too, like, you'd see... I think, like, blue was kind of the mm-hmm. color. Uh, and so you'd see these, like... Blue ribbons. Like, and also, like, Brie, like, spelled out in ribbons on, like, chain link fences by the the highway. And there was a big billboard down by, maybe that's why I was thinking that it was over by the Trader Joe's, but there was a big billboard with her picture on it over there, and it was still there. Mm -hmm. Um, My roommate, before I went abroad, um, she had lived in a house kind of near campus, um, and she heard someone like trying her door one night, like in mm-hmm. during this semester. And she said that she called the cops and they like staked out her house for weeks mm-hmm. because they thought it was this guy who was coming back. Um, and she told me that story. And I think that's when I realized like, Oh my God, like this is how serious this was while I was gone. Um, 
that it, it really changed Reno, it seemed like. I feel like, too, like, at the time, there's also that kind of question of, like, victim blaming, mm-hmm. where, like, you know, she went out and partied and, like, passed out on someone's couch. And there was kind of that idea of, like, she didn't do that. Like, she would have been alive or, sure. or that sort of thing. Yeah. Which I don't agree with. Well, it's... I think it feels better to kind of look at cases and go, well, I didn't do X, so that could never happen to me. Like, it it makes people... It's a way of not realizing their own fear, I think. If well, they can blame the person and that person did something wrong and I'm not going to do that wrong, then that would never happen to me. As opposed to saying, like, this is scary and fucked up. Like, it's a way to kind of, like, psychologically take control yeah. or have some, like, control. Where, I like, think so. Yeah, like, since I as a person, like, don't get, like, really drunk and pass yeah. out places, like, that won't happen to me. Yeah, and um, there's this true crime writer, Billy Jensen, who was really involved with the Golden State Killer, and I heard him say an interesting thing where people were saying, I think that, like, they asked him something along the lines of, like, why do you think this is so scary? And he was saying, you know, a lot of times people can victim blame to not care about a, a serial killer, right? Like, the Green River, Green River Killer... um you know, abducted and murdered sex workers. And he was saying, you know, it was really easy for people to not care about that because they're like, well, I don't live that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But the the Golden State Killer broke into people's houses while they were sleeping. And he was like, everybody sleeps. So, like, there's no way for you to, like, you know, poo-poo this situation. Mm-hmm. I heard a interesting an- anecdote about him, uh, the Golden State Killer, recently, where... That he, he had a tiny penis. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. It's uh, it's true because he didn't kill all of the people and um, the people that he left alive. They were like he had a really small penis. Well, that's why he did it. He's just angry. <laughs> Some people get a sports. Lots car. of people have tiny penises, presumably, and don't murder. Yeah. Them. Don't penis blame. Well, yeah, most of them just get a sports car and drive, sport- like, a, <laughs> drive like a jackass. Um, fair, fair. But he... That's why I only date men who drive terrible cars. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's why. <laughs> um, I should be getting a lot more action then with my PT Cruiser. <laughs> every time I see a PT Cruiser, I think of you. They're just not that common. But every time I see one, I'm like, haha, Clint. One time I told a girl that I drove a PT Cruiser and she just burst out laughing. Oh, no. <laughs> I will say this, though, um, having ridden in your car, uh, which is not a metaphor, but um, <laughs> it has a lot more room than you would think from the outside. Like, this, the floor is low, which gives you tons of leg room, and it's very nice on the inside. It's a great car. Um, it's not like a super rugged car, but it's like good gas mileage. The only thing that's bad that. about it is the turn radius. Oh, yeah. I drive a Scion, which is quite small and tough like that, too. But, yeah, it's a horrible turn radius. So now that we got that sponsorship um, all just stuff out of the way. Sands, uh, all kinds of cars. Um, what else have we shit-talked on this episode? <laughs> um, but what I was going to say about the Golden State Killer um, was he I went guess. to one of those like neighborhood meetings that would like warn people and give mm-hmm, them information. Mm-hmm. And this guy was like, this is ridiculous. Like, if a man was in the house, like... How would you not defend yourself? Yeah, and then so the Golden State, State Killer like tracked that couple down yeah. and killed him yeah that was the next people that he attacked the other thing about the golden state killer i mean i think that he's fascinating for so many reasons one is that they they caught him Mm -hmm. but also um he would he really did like stalk people like there were a couple um houses that had dogs and he um when he would break in the dogs wouldn't bark or attack and they think that he would go and like feed them treats so that the dogs would trust him oh like he'd make friends with Uh the dog ahead of time yeah and he also like they would find um like before there was an attack in that neighborhood they would have people like like let's say he broke in and killed like someone across the street now um afterwards when the um police were canvassing people would say like yeah we came home one time and like things were got like messed around and we thought maybe somebody broke in but they didn't take anything valuable so we didn't report it and he would just take like stupid shit or like sentimental things and then later they would find it like he would like throw on the roofs of another victim or something oh that's crazy yeah just like super weird things that like didn't make sense Mm -hmm. um 
So anyway, so, this, this guy was not that smart. They did say that they thought um, when they put the underwear that was not from Brianna Dennison next to her body, they thought that was him, like, quote-unquote, taunting the police. Oh, And really? they were like, you fucking idiot. Like, it wasn't even a good taunt, and it just got you caught. Well, I mean, they had his DNA anyway, though. Wouldn't they have connected it regardless, or...? Um, I don't know if they had his DNA on her body, but they had his DNA on that underwear. Oh, so it connected. So that's, uh-huh. and then they had his DNA on the doorknob of the house where she was taken from. And so that's how they were able to like absolutely connect him. Mm, oh, wow. Presumably his DNA was also on her body. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did he, I mean, did he just, was he like cruising around? It, it she was, she kind of like went to bed, um, around the university right it was kind of like in the university part of town yeah and there were i mean a lot of his assaults were around that area too Mm -hmm. right so was he just kind of like cruising around and just kind of looking for his next like victim that's a good question it's it's scary too because i don't know if you have this moment but like as a woman who went to college, college is such a time where you do get to kind of test out being an adult and you do lots of stupid shit. Um, and it's weird to be on the other side of that and then think about all of the times where things like this probably happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea of, oh, you know, this is college is this area where all these young people are like learning how to be adults. Mm-hmm. And some people see that and instead of going like, good for them, hope they drink water. Instead, they see that as like, okay, well, I'm going to go hunt them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people who are, yeah, are like out of their environment where they usually are and they're kind of vulnerable. Yeah. Um, I remember a story at UNR2 um, where um, there was like a woman like just walking through a parking lot mm-hmm. um, and she saw a bunch of guys in like weird masks and stuff walking around. Um, so she like called the police you know there's yeah there, there's like panic buttons around the campus oh yeah the now. blue light things yeah and i think they were might they might have been installed like as a response to the brianna dennison thing um but it turned out they were just um these uh just fucking around no were these uh there's this secret organization oh no way coughing, uh, coughing in keys yeah and they would they would like write a newspaper that was like sassy and gossipy yeah it was it was, it was like, a, you know, like some of the frat guys just got together yeah. and they thought it was cool to have a... Um, masks and a secret paper. Yeah, a secret paper and that sort of thing. So they like walk around campus sometime in masks. I don't know why, but uh, they definitely deserve to like have the police call them. Yeah, them. that's yeah. really creepy. Um, I feel like I was going to say something else about college and now I can't remember. Um, there was also another one. I, for, I forget. It was like the Serpent Society or something like that. That sounds that, very Harry Potter-ish. <laughs> serpent society and i got like um like a letter to like join it but then i was like did you join it no because i was talking shit about it to like i think someone else that got it so they probably like heard about that or i don't know maybe they just decided i wasn't cool enough to join but i thought that was funny nobody ever asked me to join a secret society or did they and i said yes and now i'm saying that so you won't suspect me of being in a secret society (laughs) um yeah. Oh, now I remember what I was going to say about college, although you probably might just cut this story out. But um, my first year of college before I went to University of Nevada, where I met you, um, I went to a private school. And so private schools can kind of do things that public schools can't because they don't get state funding. And mm-hmm. so um, that school, uh, freshmen and sophomores were required to live on campus, but it wasn't a dry campus, which was really interesting. Oh, most interesting. campuses are dry yeah. and most freshmen and sophomores are under 21. But basically what happened was like if you were in the dorms and you got sick or somebody was like maybe having alcohol poisoning, nobody was, you wouldn't get in trouble. Like the RAs would just like talk to you. But, but first they would make sure everybody was okay. Um, You weren't allowed to drink in the dorms, but like if you were drunk, you weren't going to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good policy to have. Yeah. And it was also really interesting. There was like, you know how people have to take like the freshman experience class or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the organization on that campus was very big on like, have a buddy when you go out to parties and like, don't leave your buddy, like have your friend all night. Um, and it was really like drink water, like here are the cab numbers. And it was like very, um, open about students drinking. And when I transferred to the public school, um, 
I was kind of blown away at how how the policy was sort of like, eh, eh, this doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's pretty smart to have when you have like a bunch of kids who are like, you need to drinking. Yeah. And they make a lot of mistakes and you need to make it as least punishing for them to like get help for those mistakes. Um, Well, and I think that I always think of that, um, like when you hear stories about like, you know, teenage girls who have like a baby in a toilet and then like leave it there or something. Like you just made the weirdest (laughs) look on your face. Like women are like 18, 19 year olds who are like, I didn't know I was pregnant or like I'm in deep denial. And it's like, well, yeah, because they are in a, a situation where they are going to be really shamed and shunned. And so instead of, like, dealing with the problems, they just freak, like, freak the fuck out. Um, but, yeah, if, if you kind of are open and, and non-judgmental about drinking or, or sex or whatever, I think that it, it gives people um, more security to come forward with things mm-hmm. and be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. Teenagers drink, guys. It happens. It happens. And I think that instead of saying teenagers don't drink, now don't do it and don't tell me, we should be saying drink, let's make it safe for you, and let's get mad at people that kidnap and stab or whatever. I don't know how she was murdered. Do you know? I think, I want to say she was strangled. But I do too, sure. but well, you know what? We are marked in the comedy category, so we can say strangled without... This is not a fact. I mean, it is fact-based. It's like when you see a Law & Order and it's like, this is based on true stories. This is based on true facts. Clint, how did it feel being on the other side of the podcast? Um. Oh, like talking? Mm-hmm. Um. It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Did you think um, though, I was just going to bully you the whole time? No, I just don't like... You know how hard it is to like hear your voice, mm-hmm. so we might punt this to um, our other friend who's into podcast, Anthony. Anthony, who did the Martin Family interlude, which is really good if you haven't listened to that episode. Yeah. Um, but I hate listening to my own voice, so that's the thing I'm most afraid of. I'm gonna make you listen to this. Oh. I'm gonna find some way to to hack your phone <laughs> so that whenever you try to play any other music or podcast, this is the only thing it plays. <laughs> And I'll find a bit that you find really annoying, like your laugh, and that'll just, it'll be on a loop. I love hearing my laugh, though. People say I have a great laugh. You do. You have a pretty good laugh. So. People don't say that about me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe I'll start saying it about myself. You know, I have People say I have a great laugh. I have a great laugh. I have to cut that out, because that sounds really, like, self-aggrandizing. But that's the only nice thing that people say about me, so. that's not true but uh as your friend i will say i i don't say nice things about you i mostly just threaten to murder you Mm -hmm. well that's kind of how our relationship works yeah and james who uh i think has been mentioned on the podcast before we have a triangle of death threats Mm -hmm. well and then has been going on for like 10 years so all of us are still alive so clearly these are all hollow it's a slow burn it's a (laughs) (laughs) time is the cruelest weapon of all it's, it's what we need you know it's like when you have a tv show that you really like and you know it's going on it's dragging on but you're really waiting for the end that's our friendship mm-hmm. well also nick coltrane i have a joke with him too that there's gonna be some sort of murder going on what we need to do Do you have any friends that you don't have that joke with yeah yeah a few you say that very <laughs> unsure of yourself like please don't ask me to say their names afterwards because i can't think of them <laughs> What we need to do is uh, we need to find a stash of um, Nazi art and then form a tontine. Um, you know what that is, right? No, I have zero idea what you're talking about. Well, the about. only reason I know this is because it's a Simpson plot, but a tontine is an agreement where the, the last survivor Oh, I have seen that stuff. Simpsons yeah. episode, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. So, like, yeah, whoever lives the longest gets the jewels. Yeah, and I think it's a trope with, I mean, since the Simpsons do it, they usually, like, riff yeah. on tropes that... that you know, Nazi art, like, you couldn't come forward with it because you have to return it to the people they stole that stuff from. So you yeah. just keep it a secret, and then... Could we have something... Could it not be Nazi art? Could it just be, like, the Bahia Emeralds or something? I mean, what else is more valuable than Nazi art? Like, literally any other art on Earth. Okay. <laughs> what were we... Oh, Daniel, Jennifer's husband, was saying that he wanted an original Bob Ross painting, but it, they are really expensive. Mm-hmm. So that's what... We'll have an original Bob Ross painting. Oh, get a catch of that. It's, it's lucrative and wholesome. It just seems, though, like, to go against the spirit of Bob Ross to have, like, 
a tontine about his art. Like, he wouldn't want that. He'd want us to share it and just... I just want you to know that I just Googled original Bob Ross paintings in there. Um possibly one thousand to fifteen thousand dollars. That's not too bad. I mean when when you compare what? it to other art forms. Oh wait, these are Bob Ross certified instructor paintings and those are seventy five. That's not actual Bob Ross. An original Bob Ross is fourteen thousand dollars. Okay, that makes more sense. You can have a tontine of that. Yeah. Alright. Well um send us your original um Bob Ross Yep. Paintings. Bob Ross is on Netflix. Put on, get get a little drug of your choice. Put on a Bob Ross episode. Paint along and then mail it to us. Yeah. And then when one of us dies, the other one will get it. So it'll be a nice little treat. Yeah, I like this. All right. Bye, Clint. All right. See you later. No, you'll never see him I'll again. never see you. All Things Terror is written, recorded, and produced by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. Our sound editor is Clint. Intro music is by Cosimo Fogg. Come chat with us on Twitter at All Things Terror or Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast. Ask nicely and we'll probably send you a really cute sticker. If you like this podcast, tell a friend or write a review. It really helps us and helps more people find us. Goodbye forever.